you can draw it out yourself. You can draw out what are my worries, what are my um, strengths that I've got, what are my resources that I've got to overcome it, who can help me out with that. You know, it's about being a bit self-reflective and breaking it down, because if you don't break it down, then it just becomes a huge overwhelming emotion. And so that's the conversation I have. So you're telling me you're just totally overwhelmed. You can't breathe. I can see you can't breathe. Um, let's first get you to relax, get you to do some breathing. Do you know how to breathe? No. Okay, let's do that. Lower the arousal, lower the adrenaline that's in the system, and then start from scratch and use the thinking part of your brain. Yeah. So really getting them to identify what they need, mm -hmm. build a life that works for them. Because they're unable to do that if they're just being overwhelmed by the emotion. So getting, getting the emotion down and then getting them to work it out. and welcome to another HG podcast. I'm Jay Baker and I'm part of the HG team and today I'm going to be talking to Alex Kennedy about improving mental health of young people one step at a time. Alex is a qualified human givens therapist who's helped many individuals to move forward from periods of difficulty in their life. He's got extensive experience of working with young people suffering from all forms of mental distress and as well as his therapeutic practice Alex is also the founder of One Step Borders an organisation which continues to support young people in the Scottish borders with their emotional health and well-being. Before he set up One Step Borders, Alex worked with Children First, where he specialised in enabling children and families to overcome trauma associated with domestic abuse. Hello, Alex. How are you? I'm doing really well, thanks, Joe. You? That's great. Yes, I'm really well, thanks, Alex. And we're absolutely delighted to have you here today. So thank you so much for taking the time to join us for our podcast. I wonder maybe if we could start by you telling us a little bit more about your experience and where did all of this start for you? Um, it's a bit pretentious, but truthfully, it started when I was traveling when I was about 19. I was sitting with my now wife in a cafe and neither of us really had a clue what we wanted to do. And we did that typical thing where let's just write everything down that we want to achieve in our lives and just see where it falls. And um, it was my dream when I was 19 to start working with young people in, in one way or another. I didn't have a clue what that way would be. But yeah, this is this is as you've kind of made me feel very amazing with that with that introduction. But but yeah, it's, it's led me to where I am just now. And it, it's fab. So the reality of, of that was OK, came back and worked in a bank, which was really following the dream. Um, but, but once I managed to wriggle out of that, I was working in employability, working with people who'd been long-term off work, primarily because of their mental health challenges. So I did confidence building workshops, things around um, low self-esteem, goal setting, things that I was really unqualified for, but really passionate about. And I did that for, for a good few years until I had the opportunity to work directly with people who were having difficulties with their mental health. So I joined that organisation and it was fab. It was direct one-to-one -one work with people who were having a really rough time. And I was went on loads of courses and got really fantastic support. And I did that for two or three years. There came a point, though, where that organisation didn't really fit with the way that I saw the best way for things to go forward. So I applied to 
somebody, I can't remember, but they were very kind and they gave me 1500 pounds, which was lovely. Um, and that meant that I could buy equipment to go into schools to do peer work. So I set up, I think it was about eight or nine primary schools in the local area, a transition program so that when people were moving between primary school and high school, they had a mentor up there, they were able to discuss their worries, struggles, things around what's a detention, why am I going to get a detention, help with that, and then they had somebody up at the high school to help with them. So that was really my first foray into doing it myself. That's absolutely amazing. And it's so interesting, that transition period is so important. And it's something that, you know, we're, we're hugely aware of from my background working in higher education, that transition is absolutely key. But to, to then apply that further down the education system, it's equally important. Of course it is. Um, so that must have been quite a unique, you know, service that you were offering, really. It was. There was, there was nothing like it. And I think that's probably why I was given the opportunity from the primary schools. They recognised that people were struggling when they went up and were then displaying difficulties behaviourally or just maybe not coming back to school. That was one of their biggest things that they just weren't coming back in. And um, so they were quite happy to, to let me go in and set up little diaries, little worry books, whatever it might be that the young person might need. And then worked with little groups of seven to ten kids at a time. And, and yes, it went it went really well. Unfortunately, there was no funding to keep it going. So I was like, okay, fine. I started working, as you say, in Children First, which is a fantastic organisation, working with the kids who had experienced um, domestic abuse in their households. And um, my knowledge grew and my skill base grew and my understanding of the challenges grew. And, and I loved it. I, I truly loved doing that. I did work with their families as well, because if you're just working with the kids and you don't get the buy-in of the family, not a, not a whole heap of changes. So I did that. And at the same time, I set up the one-step borders, really just with the view to do a little bit of extra work. It wasn't really as a long-term, I'm going to become somebody that specialises. It was just, I wonder if I can do a bit more and work with some teenagers, because I'm working with kids all the time and I like... I like teenagers a lot. They make me laugh. So, <laughs> so, so, I, so I set that up and that, that grew arms and legs to the stage where I couldn't continue doing both jobs and I'm a bit reckless. So I thought, right, I'll just do the one that's got no security and lets me do what I want. So you took the leap of faith and went, you know, full, full time into to working for, for One Step Borders. And can you tell me a little bit more about the work that you do and, and you know, the, the kind of cases that you that you work with and, and how you support young people's mental health and well-being? Yeah, so we do outreach work primarily because really passionately believe that it's important for people to get out, out of their physical environment to be able to, to make some change. So rather than either people having to come directly and sit in a room and like talk about how they feel being outside and having that same opportunity you get a better conversation you get all the benefits of being outside I feel like I am preaching to the converted but all of those things were really important and so we work across the the borders if you don't know it's a really big rural area in terms of its footprint but the population is actually quite small so I travel quite big distances and I had a little beep beep call and it was just me at the beginning just tootling around the place um, going to beaches and then going to little towns picking people up and going off for walks wherever it might be that's in groans and others there's a team of six of us in the beep beep cars going going around the place 
do, doing the same sort of work. It's always positive focused. We, we do use different scaling measures to work out where someone's at, at the beginning, but it's kind of been a bit of a mishmash of tools that we use. So the things that they used in children first, the Warwick Edinburgh scale, the things that we've kind of pulled together ourselves, which meet the, meet the age range a bit better. It's, it's really great. And then the person's able to set their own goals, however big or small. And that's where the one step, as corny as it is, came from. It's yeah. about establishing what the long-term goal is going to be and then working backwards. Yeah, like, you know, that, that famous one of the 13 principles, you know, yeah. domino, one step at a time. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. You, know, you then went and trained in human givens psychotherapy as well and, you know, have, have completed that training. How has that, you know, informed what's that brought to your, your toolkit and the way that you're working? Well, as you can probably tell by the way that I'm describing the journey, it wasn't particularly well planned. So um, a lot of the skills that I got were, were maybe I was fortunate that I had some of them myself but then you just pick them up as you've gone along but I've always felt that I was missing a toolbox a real strong solid foundation where I could um, work within so human givens gave me two things it gave me structure really solid structure for the way that the sessions can run as well as a toolkit but it also gave me flexibility to, to say actually yeah you're allowed to try this there are wonderful tools that we've got but within that so long as you're sticking to the principles you, you're not going to do any harm combination of those two things has been really quite invaluable okay and is there anything in particular that you've you found useful any ways of working that you've you've been able to see more rapid progress within clients so the obvious ones using guided imagery using um, the Rewind, I work with a lot of young people who've experienced trauma and the way that I've developed my role is I'm, I manage the organisation, but I work with anybody who's experienced trauma. So colleagues will, will work on the key elements of goal setting and then supporting alongside that. And then we've got volunteers that do things like that as well. But when it comes to the trauma specific work, that's the work that I do. And that's that's always been a stumbling block. The wait times for getting any of that type of support through the NHS are so long that the issues have grown arms and legs by the time they get there. So me having the opportunity to do that work has, has been, been huge and has meant that the journey people have been on is that much shorter and that much more positive. That's incredible. And I know as well, um, as, as part of the, uh, the work that you do, you've got a befriending programme. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how that works? I love our befriending program. I think it's a great idea. It's not mine, so I feel really comfy saying that. We we had, when lockdown hit, a, a major problem in terms of supporting people to overcome their challenges, particularly if they were isolated. Two of the things which the young people we were working with highlighted as major problems for them was a lack of structure to their days and a lack of achievement. And so the way that we that we decided to combat that was to put out an appeal to people with lots of different skills. So some people might have been experts in makeup, some people might have been experts in gardening, some people might have been experts in recruitment. It really, really didn't matter because what, what we then had was a, was a pool of people who we could link up with the young people we were working with so that they could learn those new skills with an expert. And then what we'd do is we'd just provide the equipment. So if someone was doing gardening, we'd go to the 
go online and buy whatever was needed to set up a basic gardening kit and send it out to them. And then they'd do that online with whoever their mentor was around that or makeup or whatever it might have been. And um, it was it was great. It meant that whilst the mental health challenges and the emotional problems, they still they still were just as real and just as valid. There wasn't a regression in the same way. People were still able to have a purpose and were feeling like they were achieving something. And it meant that when lockdown ceased, they maybe had something new that they wanted to try, that they wanted to go to college for, that they wanted to pursue, that they had to write on their CV. It was fantastic. Incredible. And how many of the, you know, the human givens, you know, the needs are being met there through that service. Absolutely brilliant. Um, so what are the common, most common types of things that people might come to you with? You said you work a lot with, with trauma. What else might young people need supporting with? Well, I think it's important to say that we, we have a self-referral service. So whilst we'll accept supported referrals from third parties, so from GPs or from social work or whoever it might be, the, the one has to come from the person who's asking for the support in the first place. Um, otherwise it, it doesn't work and we wouldn't get as many people engaging in the service. The reason I mentioned that is because the referral form is really fairly straightforward. It's who are you, what's your date of birth and how can we help? And the how can we help element is really quite vague generally. It's I'm a bit sad or I'm really sad or um, I'm really anxious and not leaving the house or whatever it might be. And it's only once you get digging, nobody, I've, I've yet to see a referral says, I am experiencing trauma and this is how it's playing out. It tends to be the, the behaviours which are highlighted at the first place and then the skill comes from establishing where, what's, what's missing, so which of the needs are being met. So. so when you first work with a young person, how do you build that relationship? How do you get into that, to really finding out what's behind those words that they're, they're giving to their experience? As um, Gareth said, it depends, doesn't it? Um, it could be that you, the person really struggles with eye contact. So going to a shop and having a discussion while looking at paint to decorate their house. It could be playing a game or having a difficult conversation. It could be drawing out how those feelings are. It could be getting them to do a diagram of their family background and the friends that they've got around them and the impact they have on their life. It could be just a sit down conversation in a park, talking about people that we can see and if they want people like that in their lives and if they wouldn't, it really, it depends. It depends on the kind of person that, that they are. It can be a really direct conversation. I'm really angry. I know why I'm angry and I don't want to feel angry anymore. And that's fab, but you know, people are complex and sometimes where the anger is coming from isn't necessarily the root of it. And yeah, it's having patience and time. And I guess that really highlights how important tailoring the session to, to the client, to the young person is, and having, you know, a, a, such an individual approach to each and every one of them, because there certainly isn't a formula or, or one size fits all. And, and so you can really see that the whole service is really embodying that, that approach. I'm really fortunate with the people that I've got working alongside me and, and also from, from the flexibility that the young people give us as well. They, they may well have been used to statutory services where they do get invited along sit in a room once a week or once a month and have that conversation, but they've really embraced being able to go outside or being able to try different things. And 
um, it's really hats off to them because it's a scary thing to talk about your emotions or your challenges, but then to do that in a totally different way is fantastic. I'm, I'm always astounded by how brave and how how funny they, they are when when they're struggling with, with life. So, yeah. so yeah. yeah, it's great. Yeah, and it really sounds like, you know, you're you're really meeting them where they're at. Their starting point is absolutely key to this, that you're starting from where, where the young person is. Well, it's really unfair to do anything else. If, if you were to go in and, and put your views or your past experiences, because, I mean, we work with a lot of people and a lot of them have got similar, um, on the face of it, challenges, but, but they're totally different people. And the way they exhibit it or the way that they respond to you is, is always different. So if I was to walk in and do one thing with one person, it would switch them off and I'd have failed them because they're, they're asking for help and I've not met them in the right way. So... So, yeah, I've got a responsibility to them. Absolutely. And an amazing example of the importance of getting into somebody's model of reality to be able to work effectively with them. Yeah. Thank you so much, Alex. Amazing. So when you uh, were working, you talked a little bit about working with children first and, you know, primarily you were working with the children, but the importance of working with, with the family as well to overcome that trauma and, and domestic abuse. Can you tell us a little bit more about, about the work you were doing there? So there's a really amazing project which runs in the borders called the Cedar Project, and I was really inspired by it. So the way that it works is um, the each week, the mum, no, it would be the mum, the mum goes along to a group and there's a group of mums who've experienced the same challenges and they sit down and they look at incorporating one new change into their life each week which is specific to the child which is having the challenges and then the next day the child who's having the challenges come along and has exactly the same session with exactly the same people and then the mum and the child go ahead and, and work on that together because they know they've got the same message and the same goal and same drive and because they've come together and it's not been right you've got a problem because dad did it's we've got challenges which have come up which we need to work through together and and that was really that was really inspiring to me I thought that was a great way of working and so I'd have conversations with the with the young person that I'd be working with and it would be like right so in an ideal world what's what do we want to change and then I'd get their agreement that I'd be okay to talk to mum about that or talk to the sisters whoever it might be and agree something that they could do together which would help bring that change a bit closer and, um, and that was a really positive way of working because then you'd be able to sit down every, I don't know, four to six weeks and have a chat and see what changes had, had come about, what still need to be worked on and do that as a family dynamic. And it was, yeah, that was, that was the way, way to go for me. Everyone did it differently, but that was, that was my way of doing it. So how important then has it been focusing, you know, in the work that you were doing then, but also the work that you're doing now, how important is the focus around the relationships in the young person's life and those dynamics? Yeah, relationships more than family, because um, the, the family, I work with a lot of care leavers. So for one, quite often that's, that's just doesn't exist. Mm. Um, or if it does, it still is, is a negative influence on their mental health. So I don't know if this is the right thing to do human givens wise, but I think it's great. Um, having your five fingers and working out who the five people that 
in spending most time in your life and you've got those five, those five fingers aren't going anywhere so there's a constant reminder of it so whoever they are and then looking at the influence they have so if they're a positive influence and you can see you've got five people on your hand that are having a positive influence on your life then you're not going to go too far wrong whereas if four out of the five are having a detrimental impact on you and are bringing negative things into your into your life then you're going to be really fighting against the tide there to be doing something so using tools along those lines for the person to always be reflective on on the impact of the people around them it's, it's really key because that's a that's a tangible change that they're they're able to make not always easily but they can make that change so so yeah i think it's i think it's huge relationships are huge and if there are no relationships if that hand is empty then that's a really key starting point if you've got nobody in your life to have any influence on your life then you're kind of fighting by yourself and the loneliness is going to be overwhelming so then it's about building the relationships and sometimes I find myself on that hand and and my my biggest job at that point is to try and work myself off and replace myself and and yeah that that's that's a good thing to do yeah it, it is and and I remember Joe Griffin always used to say you know his his prime role in in the therapy room was to make himself redundant um and that's pretty much you know you've just said exactly the same exactly the same thing we've got anti-bullying week um coming up and it just sort of leads me into to thinking about um you know you do see a lot of that as well you see people coming young people coming through who've experienced bullying whether that's bullying within family relationships or within you know relationships outside of that that family you know in schools and and outside the repercussions of I don't work with school-aged children, young people very often. Um, it's primarily 16 and onwards, but the impact of the bullying that they've had at school can be can be dramatic, really hugely dramatic. And you can see the negative domino effect of the bullying leading to the isolation or the drugs or whatever it might be. And I don't think people, I don't think people can be aware of the impact that bullying's had on on the young person that they've done it to, or else they wouldn't have done it in the first place or they would have made every effort to make it right. Because the way that I've I've seen it play out with some of the young people I work with is pretty horrendous. So how can it affect people, you know, the, the longer term effect of being bullied, um, you know, come out and, and show itself? Well, I've seen it come out in self-harm, um, in all, all different forms from, um, eating disorders through to physical self-harm through to isolation drug use complete breakdown in trust with society at large leaving education in its entirety if it's family bullying then that can lead to people either not wanting to have a family themselves or being desperate to make a family really early on in their lives in order to replace that it's it, it can play out in such a myriad of ways and very rarely in a positive way mm. yeah. yeah is there any advice that you'd give to anybody who was experiencing bullying well the first thing is always to speak up and to speak to somebody that you trust that's it sounds so yeah all right but blah, 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 it won't change but it does change if you speak to the right people if the bullying's happening in the home if you speak to somebody that can make a change to your home environment 
if the bullying's happening at schools, schools have a responsibility to do something about that, as to colleges, as to universities, whoever it might be. If it's at work, it's the same situation. I've had a young person recently who's been having difficulties at work and they've readjusted their entire rotor so that they're never working with the two people that were bullying them and that has stopped the problem in its tracks. And they could never see that, that happening. They didn't think their bosses would care, but they really do care. Bullying, bullying's a really emotive feeling. You never know who's experienced it before. And quite often, um, it can get quite a strong and appropriate response if you do speak up. Also, it's about having having other people around you who are able to support you and, and give you an alternative view because the bullies thing is to disempower you. If you've got people around you who are empowering you and uh, who, who are giving you the truth, telling you who, you who they perceive you to be and giving you strategies in order to overcome whatever it might be, that can be just as just as powerful and take all the power away from the bullies. I'm not sure I, I, I go in for the um, try and try and do something towards the bully. I don't think that that's really the appropriate way to go. I think it's far more important to work on yourself and your environment rather than be directly confrontational with the bully. I'm not sure that that's probably the best way to go about it. Do you think that, and I don't know whether it's different in Scotland, uh, different, you know, that, that side of the border to, to how it is down here, but do you think that schools should be doing more? No, I think they're doing really well. I can only speak from my experiences. I think that the pastoral system that they've got with guidance teachers who have a, an intimate knowledge of the people that they support is really appropriate and effective. I think that the challenge is more in the behaviour of the bully than it is in this, the organisations around them to try and stop it. I think if the people do speak up, then the appropriate action can and, and does, does happen. I think that what happens is the bully is able to disempower the person to such a degree that they're too scared to make that first step. I think that the supports work. Yeah. And I think like, you know, like you said, it's it's so complex, isn't it? Because the person who's doing the bullying, you know, quite often has a lot of complex need going on as well. And, you know, there may well be support in place there or needs to be support in place there. Um, so there are usually so many layers to, to bullying. There are, but that shouldn't be a barrier to the person who's experiencing the bullying coming forward. And, and I've I've, and I've heard that been a reason for for the person not going forward yeah but they're having a rough time and you know if I go forward it will make it worse and that's not that's no excuse it's not your responsibility to to fix the challenges of the person that's making you feel bad your responsibility not and you know actually by speaking up and saying this is happening you know could could actually be helping both of you yeah I believe so yeah yeah okay thanks Alec so if you were worried, you know, if friends and families of, of, you know, of young people who might be listening to this, if they were worried about a young person's mental health, what advice would you give them as maybe they're one of those five fingers? You know, what, what advice would you give them to support a young person who might be struggling with their mental health and well-being? I think the first thing would just be not to be scared. Don't, don't, be, don't be scared of the terminology or the language or whatever's first thrown at you. You maybe find that you're the person who's opened the valve and then everything's just gone 
and the ferocity of the language and and the experiences you're you're being given maybe don't tell the full picture of where they're at most of the time but they really want you to understand that they're struggling but the fact that they've trusted you in the first place is a huge a huge thing and and something which can be built on and your the way you build on it is is key and that first reaction is so important so if you don't know what to say just give them a hug if you do know what to say say it but they're not looking for you to fix it they don't believe you can fix it they just want to be heard and want to be held probably and and give them the opportunity to have that space be that person they want you to be there they, they maybe will want you to be there lots of times but they're not asking you to fix it they're asking you to be there and to understand so be there and understand and if you don't understand read about it there's so much material so much information that you can you can find out and if you if you want to call and contact someone contact your gp contact any of the people contact mind they've got great resources online there's so many resources you can go to and but the expert in what they're experiencing is the person that's telling you so yeah. so listen and if you don't know what to say then say i don't know what to say but I love you and I really appreciate you telling me and I'm going to help if I can. That's really helpful. What would you say then to somebody who can see that a young person is is struggling, um, but that young person isn't asking for help or isn't saying, I'm not okay? How do you support that? There's lots of complex reasons why they might not be able to. It might be that they're um, on the spectrum and aren't able to recognize the emotions or the emotions are so strong that they're overwhelming, overwhelming their ability to, to communicate it. Um, so sometimes, depending on, on the person, they maybe do just need to be held again. And that would relax them enough to the point where they are able to articulate their challenges. Um, I'm not saying hugging is the answer to everything. That's really not what I'm saying, but it can certainly, certainly help. And help to lower the emotional arousal enough to, to allow them to, to be able to open up. And it might yeah. just be again, that, that one step. Yeah. If the person isn't directly talking to you about it and it's not for any of those reasons, then you, you're able to start the conversation yourself. Say, look, you know, I've noticed you're not really yourself at the moment. Is, is anything going on? Is there anything I can help you out with? Just opening the door and don't expect a definite, yeah, here it all is. It might take a bit of time for the person to ruminate on it and then come back to you, but you've given them permission and you can give them permission more than once. You can, you know, there's there's no rush. If you think there's something wrong with them, give them space. And if they're not giving you space, look for local organisations who, who you could refer on to and say, you know, I'm a bit worried about this. Or you could leave telephone numbers, text numbers for the person. Shout's a really good one. I don't I think. Oh, shout's brilliant, yeah. Um, and, and that's a text conversation that they can just, yeah. they can have at any time that they want. So so having having lots of resources if you don't have it immediately go and go and find them because there's some really great ones that you can leave about and just say because it's the worst you can get is that actually they're fine and just a bit moody um, and they don't need to use any of those but more likely they will use them 
because if you've picked up on it, it's probably true. Mm. Yeah. So we've thought a lot about, you know, what we can be doing, what other people can be doing to help support young people. But how can we help young people to support themselves and to to protect themselves, I guess, against, um, you know, becoming mentally unwell? It goes back to the really tried and tested things of being outside, making sure your sleep's okay. I listened to your podcast that you did on the sleep, and it's just so important. The, the sleep, the exercise, the, the, the meeting your needs it is meeting your needs in balance. And that's what I've taken from, from, from the training that I, that I went through and putting it into practice again. It is having all of those things met in balance, or and most of them, as many as you can and balance so if you're able to have a, a social network if you're able to have the intimacy if you've got direction if you've got goals it it's unlikely you're going to be struggling so much so being able to reflect and then make those choices you've got every chance of your your mental health being okay not to say that you're not going to have low days or or anything you you will but as a general rule your mental health will allow you to get through those rough days so I, I think it's about having a focus, having time outside, having time to yourself, having time with others, having interests, you know, just just meeting your needs in balance. Mm -hmm. And is there a way that when you're working with young people that you approach that? How do you begin that conversation about, um, you know, getting them to sort of understand what their innate needs are? I can't draw. But I try really hard. Um, I, I because I can't draw. We made a journal, which has got lots and lots and lots of resources in it, so that we can tap into it. It might have what's on for you today. What are your goals for the week? What you have, how are you going to achieve those goals? And what's your reward for achieving those goals? It might be a worry tree where you've got the leaves as all the different worries, but then what's holding the tree up. And, you know, there's loads and loads and loads of resources. So, so that's how I approach it with them. I've got a journal that I work through, but if you don't have a journal, then having, you can draw it out yourself. You can draw out what are my worries? What are my um, strengths that I've got? What are my resources that I've got to overcome it? Who can help me out with that? You know, it's about being a bit self-reflective and breaking it down because if you don't break it down then it just becomes a huge overwhelming emotion and so that's the conversation I have so you're telling me you're just totally overwhelmed you can't breathe I can see you can't breathe um let's first get you to relax get you to do some breathing do you know how to breathe no okay let's do that blow the arousal blow the adrenaline that's in the system and then start from scratch and use the thinking part of your brain yeah. So really getting them to identify what they need, mm -hmm. to build a life that works for them. Because they're unable to do that if they're just being overwhelmed by the emotion. So getting, getting the emotion down and then getting them to work it out, because I could say, well, what I need is. So have you got that? But that, that means nothing. It's what mm. do they need? Mm. Yeah. So what's next what's on the horizon you know you've done so many things have you got any you know future plans for for one step borders anything else coming up for yeah you? really exciting um we got 
awarded, not awarded, well, we did. We Recently, we got awarded another two years worth of funding so that we're able to keep our capacity as is and still have enough um, space to take on new referrals. So that was great. Um, but we've been operating as a community interest company for the last six years, um, which has been really restrictive in terms of um, some of the funding streams that we could apply to. So what, what we found, well, what I found out yesterday, I've yet to tell the people that work for me actually, um, <laughs> was that- This um, won't go out until after you've told me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was that we, um, it's been agreed that we can be a charity now. So that's great. So that's that opens up, Yeah, so that opens up lots of other doors and that hopefully will give us a bit of opportunity just to, um, to grow our, to go into different directions. One of the organizations I was looking at, which I wasn't able to apply to, was the Robson Trust, who are doing, who've got funding for trauma-specific work. So that's probably the next avenue that I'm I'm gonna explore is to see if I can get some of my colleagues trained up to work with people who are experiencing trauma and then do some specialist work around that. I think that's probably our next route, just because of demand. Yeah, yeah. And it just sounds as if it's ever evolving and that you just do such amazingly important work. And, you know, what a, a privilege to be able to work with the incredible young people that you, you work with as well. We're almost out of time, Alex, but is there anything else that you, you know, you want to add or, or want to talk about in terms of your work that you feel is really, you know, really important that, you know, people have an awareness of? Obviously, you can cut this, Joe. But the, the only other aspect of the work that we do, which I think is, is valuable, is, is we've got a Duke of Edinburgh programme, which we do for people who weren't able to access it when they were in school for, for whatever reason. Maybe they weren't in school for long enough or whatever that might be. And so that's, that's really great for people to be able to achieve something for the first time in their lives. And academically, that is. And... So, so that's something that's running. And we're also doing away days with the volunteers now that lockdown's been, been kind of halted for the moment. We're, we're able to go away and do trips. So we're doing a trip to have a look at some alpacas next week um, and do some art therapy there. Then we're going off to um, Edinburgh to go around art galleries. And, you know, just having the flexibility to do that and for people to be able to grow in that way because it's all very well saying we need to have interests outside of your day-to-day -day life but people don't know what what to try and if they've not had the support in order to do that so so yeah that's the only that's the only thing which I don't think we've really touched on but it's I'm really proud of yeah and it sounds like you know you were talking about the the area being you know very rural and very large but with small small amount of uh, people and, and communities so enabling people to have access to things that they might not have been able to have access to previously mm -hmm. to to have new experiences and to build their resources is, is just so so valuable yeah it's great yeah Alex thank you so much for joining us today and I know that our listeners will have, have got a huge amount out of you know hearing what you've, you've got to say um, and if you'd like to find out anything more about One Step Borders and Alex's work the links can be found in the podcast description and we'll also include the, the links to, to shout um, and, and the other things that were mentioned as well. So Alex, thank you so much for talking to us today and wish you all the very best of luck for the charity and, you know, continuing the incredible work that you're doing to, you know, improve the mental health 
support available to young people in your area. Thanks, Joe. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Until next time. Bye-bye.